This is episode five. You can find the show notes for this episode at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash five. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we are riding up to the top floor with Corey Falter, founder and principal of Lure Agency. Corey's career began on the racetrack where he raced dirt bikes professionally. And after picking himself up and dusting himself off, Corey worked as both account director and art director for an assortment of agencies before founding Lure in 2012. Even though Corey's company does all the things you would expect from an agency like design, content marketing, email, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like Corey is always on the lookout for new innovations and sort of new ideas for unlocking revenue for hotels and restaurants. The last time Corey and I talked, he started riffing on a new idea he has. And so I had to have him on the show to talk about it today. We are going to discuss how to increase a hotel guest's total lifetime value. But first, we have somebody on the emergency call button. This is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. Today's question was submitted by Jason. Jason asks, I do content marketing for my business. How do I write articles that provide value for potential customers without giving away all of my secrets? Any thoughts, Corey? Well, first, Susan, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. I really enjoyed the conversations that we had. I look forward to the energy and the brainstorming. And there's always some amazing things to chat about with you. So thanks again for that. Yeah, this is a great question because when we first got into this space, we get everybody together at the table and it was almost like, okay, what should we write about or topics that uh, we should cover? We think our audience would like this. And thankfully to technology now, they've given us some tools that give us some insights on what to write about. It's made this process so much easier. It takes all that subjectivity out of it. And so we use some tools like uh, Jarvis and Google and Ubersuggest that will give us the volume of questions or the type of things that our audience is, is looking for. And so, you know, obviously the content wants to resonate with our audience, but that twofold is the organic search ability and the benefit that you get from writing topics that have the right keywords, the structure, and that as a content marketer, that badge of honor is be able to rank on page one organically without any ad spend. That is always the... Holy grail. (laughs) That's really been able to keep our flow going because in content, as you know, there's a lot of layers, a lot of steps, there's the revisions and rewrites and you know, the whole workflow and, and consistency above all else is critical. Content is the long game. It's these little incremental steps that are executed consistently uh, across the timeline. So that's really helped our workflow tremendously. That's a really great point looking for objective data to support your ideas for what your content should be about. The other thing I would probably say to Jason is that 
if you're worried about giving away your secrets, I'm going to tell you that there are very few companies who have secrets worth guarding. (laughs) Anybody can Google just about anything and figure out how to do something. I think the difference is whether or not they actually are going to do it. So, you know, if you're putting out like a checklist and you're worried that you're giving away the secret sauce behind your success, trust me when I tell you that you're not. Anybody can find those steps. It's whether or not they will execute them that makes the difference. And for you as a content marketer, your goal is to be providing value to the person on the other end of that content versus, you know, giving away competitive advantage to other businesses. What do you think about that, Corey? You can't make up things that aren't aligned with your values because it, it, it erodes that trust. And so you hit it right on the head. It's the execution part. You're going to benefit 20-fold on using that concept of laying all your cards on the table, showing all your secrets, and earning people's trust that way versus trying to hold your cards closer to your chest. And I absolutely, now more than ever, because if you've looked at the absolute dismal trust factor of media and what's going on in our current climate, trust is at an absolute low right now. And the only way to do that is to authentically share those things. And so people begin looking for these personal connections, i.e. content, not the media, to get their trusted sources from. So I, I would even double the extreme. I'm not sure what the next level of extreme is, but... Mm -hmm. uh, Well, doubling extreme is a perfect segue into this next point of our conversation, which is, I want to hear about your background, starting with your dirt bike career. How did being a professional racer prepare you for agency life? Back in the 80s, uh, I live in an area which was referred to as the Cajon Zone, and it was the epicenter for 80s motocross. So growing up here, Southern California, most all of my friends had dirt bikes. We rode in the hills. It was an amazing time to grow up. And uh, as soon as I found dirt bikes, uh, Little League and soccer uh, balls were put away. And my sister was the flag girl. My mom worked in the snack bar. Barona Oaks was our Little League. And that's where we grew up racing locally here. I turned pro at 18 and had a promising career And I kind of put college off in hopes that uh, I was going to chase my dream. But a disaster struck in 1986 at LA Coliseum where I broke both my legs and ended up in the Compton General ER, which was a pretty horrifying experience for somebody that was 18. And so I needed a plan B. My parents laid it on the line, said, look, you can continue to race, but you need to think of something else. So, uh, I uh, took this conservative route, decided to go to college and pursued my second passion, which was art. I actually have a fine arts degree, which was from San Diego State University. I know you've always held creative positions. Were you like drawing on the back of your worksheet in math class? (laughs) Guilty as charged. I don't know if anybody, uh, some of us are not as seasoned, remember the infamous peachy folders, those bright orange folders. And I would find myself doodling on them, elaborate on them. We'd add our our favorite band names to them, all kinds of crazy teenage memes. Well, they weren't memes at that time. So yes, there there was definitely something to me that loved that doodling aspect. So that kind of fostered that. And do you think your creativity was always on the art side or were you a writer as well? Like a language person? Did you write short stories? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm more of a visual guy. Traditionally at agencies, there's there's a team of a art director and a creative director. So I worked very closely uh, with a colleague of mine, uh, Michael Duffy, who I worked with uh, on a variety of projects. And so it was definitely on the visual side. And that's one of the reasons why I gravitated more into early in my career layout, Adobe Illustrator, logo design, and the visual aspects of that creative element. Any particular favorite campaigns from your pre-Lure agency life? Yeah, actually, um, one of my iconic uh, projects is that uh, we were, back in 08, probably the worst time to relaunch and rebrand a property. We had been working with uh, Noble House Hotels and Resorts, and we had the good fortune of relaunching the Riviera Resort and Spa in Palm Springs. And it was literally a Hollywood-type process where, I mean, it was extensive branding. It, it was really exciting because we were bringing back that whole 60s Hollywood lifestyle. And this hotel had an amazing history. It had the Rat Pack that wrote songs in the lobby and Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And it's such an amazing history legacy. And we were just reviving that into a modern version. And it was such an amazing time. In fact, we hired Amy Mata. She was in our campaign. She's now an actress for our photo shoot. And that was just, we had casting and it was literally a, a Hollywood type production. Unfortunately, you know, because of the timing, fall of 08 for a hotel launch of that magnitude was just, that, that was not, fortunately, timing was not on our side. So that I would say that was definitely one of my proud moments of the creative side. That sounds amazing. What was the spark or the inflection point that made you decide to start your own company? Was that always part of your plan or did something specific happen that made it seem more appealing? You know, when I was in college, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit and I've been self-employed more so than working in agent. In fact, my agency stints were relatively short and I just enjoyed the entrepreneurial excitement. Again, that segue of extreme, extreme sports. I trade that for, I, I guess, uh, stability. And I've just kind of always had that flair. I had some relationships in action sports, sunglasses, uh, sportswear. So going through school, I actually had a couple of clients while I was working through my degree there. Once I graduated, I was fortunate enough to live on top ramen and cup of noodles long enough. I'm still on, on that type of diet these days. To uh, open up my own uh, studio along with a colleague I met in college. Our first design studio was Vision Lab Design. And uh, back in 1983-ish, that's just way before the internet, back when press check was better than getting a VIP pass at Cheers for Fears at that time. It was an event. You would be invited. It was such a craftsman type of experience. The pressman would stand in the corner with bow tie on while you inspected the ink density there was something really special about those days. It was a complete different dynamic than when we were here on the digital stage. That's really interesting. It makes me think. So <laughs> when I was growing up, I worked, you know, I was like editor of my school paper and stuff, and we mocked it up at our local newspaper office. I grew up in a small town, so the local paper maybe was a few years behind kind of the latest and greatest newspaper technology. But I remember flipping through those big books of clip art and like cutting things out with scissors, waxing them, and then putting them up on a paste up board. I don't know. Does that ring bell? 
Was that a super esoteric thing that only happened to me? No, paste up. Absolutely. That was no. In fact, the daily Aztec, my, one of my buddies worked there. He did the exact same thing and, and the type galleys and pasting all that up on. Board. Yes. I can't even imagine that's the level of work that it would take to put together a newspaper like that. Oh, if we would find mistakes, we would have to cut out like single letters or single words, move them over. There was a limit to how much we were allowed to print because printing was expensive. So rather than like rerunning the column inches, we had to just cut out little words. It was ridiculous. I'm very happy that I had that experience, but it just reminds me of what you said about the guy in the bow tie. I bet you were a master with the exacto knife, right? I mean, I'm not going to say that I wasn't all right. I will say that those little rollers that the, like the wax machine roller, I wish I had one today. I I don't even know what they're called, like what the official name is, but can you imagine if you could just roll a piece of paper through wax, pop it up on the wall for a little while? I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent, but what can I say? So what about starting lure? I know that was around 2012 and you decided to focus on hospitality. What drove that decision? Um, Yeah, well, actually, during my old design days, I began my first hotel client with my beloved Paradise Point Resort and Spa here in San Diego. I cold called them. In fact, John Davies, who just retired at Benchmark uh, Hospitality, we're still close friends and uh, I developed a relationship with him. So that was kind of my first foot in the door mid-95-ish on working with hotels and resorts, obviously all print. All we did is design work at that time, a ton of you know just traditional direct mail and, that and whatnot. And so that actually fostered into the double house relationship. And then fast forward 20 years ago, when that whole 08, 09 situation, uh, I knew the trend was online. And so when Facebook just launched, I another friend of mine invited me to give a presentation at the Hilton Gas Lab here in San Diego. And we went to their presentation room and I'll never forget this. We had the GM sitting there and we were on Facebook in live time and showing them the interactions and conversations. I looked up, I'd never seen, well, I've seen a jaw drop on a GM, but not, not in a good way. This was, he was, I looked at him and I could see there's something special about that because it, it seems like social media was built for hospitality. It's a two-way communication. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is something amazing. And so we kind of went from there. We we uh, launched Lure. All we were doing is social media engagements at that time. And back then, we could even run promos, drive direct revenue. This is be- way before ads launched. And so not only could we show them the value of developing that relationship and that guest one-on-one, but we could also sh- connect our efforts to revenue, which made everybody happy, which was incredible. But as you probably have noticed, things have changed in the social space. That's why I'm not in that business anymore because it got too hard and complicated. Yeah, now it's uh, you know for brands, it's an ad platform. You literally have to spend money to get visibility. Not to say it's not important, but those really cool organic tricks back then were amazing. So yeah, so things have certainly changed, and now we're doing more content lead gen and sales enablement. So working with hotels. 
new levels of prospecting, how other industries, software companies are doing things using analytics and, and insights to drive the new business. So that's interesting. Every time we talk, I feel like you've got new creative ideas for how hotels can sort of improve their business, either with streamlining, being more efficient, being more effective. Typically, I think that these are ideas that you're adapting from or have been inspired by other industries. So before we get into the specifics about your latest and greatest idea, will you tell me a little bit about the non-hospitality industries that inspire you, why you're studying them or why they appeal to you? That's a fantastic question. You know, I hear this a lot in, in, in particular in hospitality is that it's kind of like if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. And it's not intuitive that oftentimes testing and changes and things take place and thing in strategies that may or may not be working. And so I have been enthralled and infatuated with how SaaS software companies align sales and marketing. Where in hospitality, as you know, oftentimes there's that wall. Oftentimes marketing is not talking to sales and, and vice versa. And so I was always amazed on through my own experience when I'm purchasing software, how incredible they're leveraging technology to touch a lot of people on a high personal level. And then that seamless transition between where technology stops and a person touch picks up. And it's almost like you can't tell when they're when it's done right. And so I'm like, wow, this is really amazing. I, I know we're obviously in the in the situation that we're in right now, limited labor, talent. So I, I've been really immersed myself in learning a lot more of how software sales and marketing is performing and how those can be transitioned. To, uh, because I, quite honestly, I don't see other, any other industry that is performing uh, at such a high level than software sales right now. They're crushing it. Okay. Note to self, follow software sales companies online. Heard, got it. Yeah, not all of them, but if the Salesforce's HubSpots, the ones that are literally selling software to do what I just described, they're again extreme transparency. They lay everything out. And in fact, HubSpot created the whole concept of inbound and content marketing. And now they've created the roadmap to show people how to do it themselves. They're an amazing, you know, obviously, look at their stock. They're obviously doing something right. More than 2,000 years ago, since the first night audit report about walking a guest was written at the Hotel Bethlehem, <laughs> hotels still make money just about the same way they always have centuries of charging for guest rooms and charging for food and drink. Why is now the right time for hotels to be thinking about reevaluating their sources of revenue? Very, very good question. We're at a pivotal time with technology right now. And again, software has been leading the charge on, on a lot of these different ways of looking and exploring new revenue channels and opportunities. And so what Amazon has been able to do, other influencers like uh, Dave Ramsey have really opened up and been able to explore. And in fact, in some instances, have been able to generate, and I'll use Dave Ramsey in particular, generate more income from selling products and services that aren't even proprietary to himself. So let's set the stage for the current environment. My sense is not only is labor hard to come by, the cost is really, really high, and cost of goods for hotel is at the top of the charts right now. 
at the same time, we're in this sort of pandemic slash post-pandemic period. Demand is soft. ADR is stagnating. We're struggling to recover. So, you know, all the things that cost money for a hotel are either the same or more expensive. All the things that bring in money for a hotel are stagnating or struggling. This current situation creates a pretty murky revenue picture that is definitely not sustainable. And I know you have a really good idea for how to impact that. Can you tell me about it? Absolutely. And you hit it right on the head. And I've always been amazed working at a hotel, some of the things that I've learned along the way. But it's to put that concept in the complete opposite of software sales, hotels have a, when I'm talking about accommodations, there's a finite number, right? Meeting space, weddings. We're working with some of our clients now on their weekends or book, you know? And so when, when that happens, you've got a cap on your proprietary <laughs> offering, right? So the exciting thing, again, emerging with technology, and I'm sure this is n- nothing new to a lot of people out there, but it's so much to be uncovered in the data, right? And in particular, talking about the data, we're talking about the audience. And when you have an audience, and I'll use just XYZ Hotel, there are so many opportunities that you can monetize your audience beyond the walls of your venue or your structure. So beyond just the rooms, food, glass of wine at night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason why it's so relevant is that there's an emotional connection that you have between a property and a guest. They've spent a night there. You know, Again, there's varying degrees of what that relationship looks like. But oftentimes, there'll be iconic moments and birthdays and weddings and you know even a business trip that you crushed it on. You're going to remember those things as happy, wonderful times. There's a level of closeness there that you have with a customer that you wouldn't necessarily have on buying a widget from Amazon. So that emotional connection opens up so many amazing opportunities because there's a trust factor there, hopefully, right? Delivering on that promise, developing guest satisfaction ultimately opens up, example, I was saying with Dave Ramsey, he's built a level of trust. People trust him. And so when you do that, you're able to take that conversation to a different level and open up opportunities to your audience that you may have not thought about in the past. So with technology and you know programs, again, like software, affiliates, and other things, you can leverage these things to help drive ancillary revenue with exactly what we were talking about by not adding additional staff expense and oftentimes no inventory, no other line items. It's purely a rev share situation where you're the person's earning a commission, much like the OTAs are. There are so many opportunities right now, especially in hospitality. That's uh, it's extremely exciting. So you don't just mean by guest lifetime value, you don't just mean how many times the guest returns to your hotel or like how many omelets she buys. You mean how can that guest contribute to the revenue picture of the enterprise outside of like the traditional room and meal? Am I getting that right? Absolutely. Can you give an example? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when we think about how interact with a hotel looking beyond the booking or transactional sale, right? It's looking beyond that and developing that long-term ongoing relationship where I think a lot of hotels have missed the mark. I see it myself because I only get offers or 
you know, promotions from them when I know they're probably looking to fill a need. Even some of the properties here in, in San Diego, I can see them doing a much better job of nurturing my relationship and keeping me top of mind, sending me things of value that would help build that trust. I know it's nothing new, but activities, there could be other products and services. There could be, in the case of Dave Ramsey, he's even got affiliates with life insurance now, mortgages, financial things that have to do with automobiles, it transcends his core vertical. And it's because he's built that relationship and that trust with his audience. And so it's been able to expand that concept of customer lifetime value by using that relationship and other elements and revenue streams to really generate some bottom line revenue that's tangible. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners have a couple of really practical and tangible things to try in their businesses after every episode of Top Floor that they listen to. So what do you think? What's an example? Like, let's use a hotel or resort in your hometown of San Diego. What can they do to increase guest lifetime revenue? Getting back to my kind of my old lifestyle and being in that action sports and that merchandise arena, naturally a great opportunity for say a full service resort. I'll use Paradise Point. That's my beloved property here where I got married, <laughs> where I got married, and we've had dozens of events there. It's, it's by, the lifetime value of me for that property is probably off the chart. Taking that level of uh, relationship I've had with them and, and connecting that with merchandise. Merchandise would be a no brainer because. You know, they have an amazing gift shop there. It's merchandised well. They've got amazing branded products when I go to the hotel, right? So when I go there, I can go to the gift shop. I can buy certain things. I I leave. But imagine taking that concept and connecting the property with curated brand, iconic brands, pre-stay. So a Roxy, Quicksilver, surf-inspired brands, Reef, because of technology, there's ways to connect your audience, your property with iconic brands pre-stay. Mom's going to go out and buy flip-flops for the kids. She's going to go out and buy bathing suits for everybody. Why not give her an easy way and a discounted way to a series of curated products she's going to buy anyway? Connecting brands like that, pre-stay, and then imagine bringing that your gift shop. So maybe mom didn't make it to the gift shop. She didn't buy that iconic t-shirt. She forgot. So bring that merchandise online. Give mom or dad or significant other the opportunity to purchase those products that are going to bring back those amazing memories. And the imagine, I mean, from a marketing guru here, it's, uh, I love the residual marketing touch, right? Could create those conversations. Those family members look at that and go, oh my gosh, remember that trip to Paradise Point? We got to go back there. There's so many additional value adds to merchandise. I think, of, you know, a way to do this pre-stay that could be really interesting where you could offer like a self-sorting tool, maybe a quiz, a personality quiz about your trip persona. Like, are you traveling with family? Is it a girl's trip? Is it a business trip? Whatever it is, that trip persona that you get then turns into a packing list with hyperlinks to products that the hotel gets a cut of. So, because, you know, to me, I'm not excited about a hotel selling life insurance to me, but I do want them to join me on the journey of travel. 
it's a good fit, I think, for hotels to link arms and like and make my trip better at the same time making their revenue better. So what do you think about a non-resort hotel? I always like to go back to my boring hotel in an office park to make sure we don't forget about our friends there. How could a hotel like that add incremental uh, revenue and additional lifetime value? Imagine, if, let's say, a limited property, a uh, Holiday Inn, so to speak, in Des Moines, had a tablet, right? And on the tablet had curated local you know, attractions or, or things that the guests could easily go through and go, oh, wow, yeah, I was looking at perhaps doing a, uh, a, a Segway or rented a bike or whatever the case may be, being able to have easily those items in a very simple way for somebody to grab a tablet, look at two or three selections, make it super easy. Obviously, the property would have a, a, a relationship with this. They could book it right online. Most everybody has some sort of ability online to reserve or whatever the case may be and use an affiliate code, piece of cake. We have a tech partner, TTI, that actually does lobby tablets. And I ran this idea by him. And oh my God, that'd be incredible. As long as it was turnkey, right? Hand it to the hotel. It's ready to go. They then hand it to their guest when they ask, hey, do you have any information on what... I'm here for three days for a business trip. I'm a little bored. What can I do? They would hand out... Here's your digital concierge, basically. They just receive a commission check. If you're a business traveler, here's your presentation success kit with all the different dongles and adapters and cords, all the stuff that people flip out about when they're on the road. Another one could be if you've got good guest data and you know where the guest is traveling from. So like, say I live in South Florida and I'm going to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in January. I don't have the cold weather gear for that, nor do I typically have a reason to own it. So I rent a big parka and from the hotel and buy a hat and gloves. Maybe the hat and gloves come home with me as a souvenir, but the parka gets returned or even gets donated to a shelter or something like that. Sorry if I'm getting carried away. This is a fun game. We should do a whole show of us just brainstorming ideas for this. If I'm a hotelier and I'm loving all the stuff we're talking about, what is the best thing I can do to get started? Well, several ways. Obviously, the affiliate program, there's a ton of resources online about affiliate. And again, this is not, not a new concept, which means that you know it's been tried and true. And there's tremendous opportunities. And now with modern POSs and other systems, you can easily generate affiliate code. So if you already had trusted local community activities or stores, where the case may be, you know, reach out to them directly, find out if you can, you can set up some sort of affiliate a reciprocal because it goes both ways as well. Certainly, if anybody has any questions or want to know where they wanted to get started, I could certainly have got some resources I could certainly share with them. So I'd be happy to answer. We'll make sure to put your contact information in the show notes. All right. You have to pull out your crystal ball now and tell me what is one prediction you have for the future of hotels? The concept of a humanless check-in process via a kiosk. So they're already in discussions, and again, limited service primarily, where you wouldn't have any area action. That trend is here. And so there could be very quickly a time where you walk into a hotel and you, you don't see anything. So another reason to really leverage technology, just because of the things that you were talking about, I don't know what's going to happen with the labor situation. It's hard to predict on anything these days, but 
anytime that we can leverage technology in a high touch, high personal way that the guest prefers. And I think some of those hotels that had the robots, that's taking things, I think, a little bit too far. And I think sensitivity and understanding when technology is preferred and adoption is welcomed versus, hey, I want to talk to somebody. That is where I think more attention needs to be. What's next for you and what's next for Lure? We want to continue to grow in the areas of generating tangible revenue for our clients and using our proprietary science and soul methodology and using and empowering sales teams on leveraging these new prospecting and technology tools to uncover opportunities that may or may not be obvious or even uncovered as of yet. Uh, And then obviously, the exciting thing is we've been working on this merchandise and these lifetime customer value programs because I think generating residual and those ancillary revenue opportunities for companies is going to be an amazing dynamic emerging. Okay, folks, before we tell Corey goodbye, we're going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Do you have a story for us that you would only tell on the loading dock? I've got a good one for you. So... (laughs) Several years ago, I was obsessed with Hotel Impossible. And I watched every episode. And out of the blue, I got a call from an agent and said, Hey, we're looking for guests in California. Would you be interested? I'm like, Oh my gosh, of course I would be. So got all my details. Property was up in Northern California. And I had no idea what to expect. It wasn't a whole lot of prep. So I'm just excited. I'd been watching the show religiously. I had a little bit of idea how the flow went. I had no idea the backstory of the drama. And it was deep and wide. And I'll set the stage. It was a maybe mid-20s son who acquired this property from a large family, had no hotel experience at all. There was infighting. There was a lot of drama that I could see when I showed up there. They made me sit in my car. And the blistering heat, they asked me to sit in the car until I was called. So it's 100 degrees up there. This is during the summer. And It was kind of a surreal moment. I'm in a suit. So I walk upstairs, no prep, no conversation. Anthony turns to me, shakes my hand, and he said, you're ready? And I said, for what? Ready for what? (laughs) He turns back around, looks at the camera, and they start shooting. And I'm like freaked out at this moment. But I didn't realize all the other factors that were going on. And I, I found out there isn't a whole lot of prep on that show in terms of shooting. It's that's how the organic nature, and I think that that's the draw. Understanding uh, you know some of the things that unfold. So I was so nervous at the time. I was shaking. I, I did some logo treatments for him. I could barely keep the board that I was showing straight at that time. And so it was. Luckily, I muscled through it. Got done with it, and that was it. It was like a twenty-minute situation done out. And so after the show, I saw it air and. I'm so lucky I didn't know all... I only saw a little bit of the drama. There was a lot more to it. It was was an experience, to say the least. But, you know, fun. And it was uh, as exciting and extreme, right? (laughs) There you have it, folks. Corey Falter, the king of extreme. Thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners got some great ideas for how to positively impact their top line revenue. And I really appreciate you riding to the top floor with us. I can't thank you enough for inviting me on the show. 
This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash five. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.